everybody, welcome back to another edition of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff, and joining me back from his usual spot. This time, I think you're here for for at least a couple of episodes, is Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome back. I think, I think I'm gone next week, but I might not be. You know, another one of those. <laughs> I, I think... I think with this quarantine, you're probably going to still be put. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's, uh, you, know, you know, but you know what I was watching today? The 86 National League Championship. Oh, wow. Well, that, uh, what, oh, I was just discussing something about Mike Scott with somebody the other day. Mike Scott, I believe, through game four. They were showing game five. Some guy named Nolan Ryan. Ah, those fun I, to Well, I'll tell you why I was discussing Mike Scott. If you remember back on opening day, MLB uh, did that opening day at home where they kind of showed highlight games from every franchise on some form of media. And for the Astros, they showed Verlander's no-hitter from last year. Oh, sure. And so I kind of spoke on Twitter, and I got quite the response from Astro fans saying, why are you showing somebody from the cheater era? Why wouldn't you show a one of Nolan Ryan's no-hitters or Mike Scott's no-hitters, something that you don't see as often, and maybe Astro fans might not have seen that since a lot of them are new, since they've been good recently. And, oh boy, did I get some hate from Justin Verlander defenders. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You stepped over the <laughs> Which, line. You know, some of them, some of them were... were we we parted uh, with nice words and you know i feel sorry for astros fans they didn't cheat it's their team that did but they're going to feel the brunt of it but then you've got the defenders who will to their to their grave they're going to defend these guys even though it's i mean they're they're admitted cheaters but i just can't wait get to get back to the point where you know thinking about the astro cheating is what upsets me the most and worries me the most <laughs> yeah no so those were the days when that was the biggest issue i was dealing with yeah i can't wait for that but we're gonna we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today uh first of all coming up on our show we have a great guest today we are we're we're talking about another book we've had uh, we had a great uh author db firstman was on we talked about their book hall of name today we have got brad Belukjian on with us and he wrote a book called the wax pack book and it is about a pack of 86 tops cards that he opened and uh just uh, last week the new york post called it the best book of the week so that's that's awesome but we had a great great time uh talking with brad and a first brad bought his own pack of baseball cards 86 tops to Wax Packs Heroes. So we'll have to see how that goes. You, you know, you got to love it too. The guy that writes the Wax Pack book brings his own Wax Pack. You know, it's like he has them loaded up somewhere. <laughs> when I told him about that segment, he's like, well, can can we, I've got an 86, you know, pack of 86 tops. Can we use that? And I was so excited. I'm like, yes. <laughs> that, <laughs> I think, so we're going to open a new rule too. Guests are allowed to bring their own pack. Well, can I bring like uh 2019 National Treasures Pack sometime? Well, just remember, it has to be before 1992 because... Oh, no. Okay, gotcha. (laughs) Uh, But stick around for that. That was... uh, He's got a lot of great stories. Uh, He is a real smart guy. He's from here in the Bay... Well, he lives here in the Bay Area now, and uh, that's a lot of fun. But before we do that, let's jump into our BP segment, talk about some... Uh, some odds and ends and we've got some awesome debuts to talk uh, about today and then we've got a trivia question that mark you've not heard before because you weren't here last week but i think you're gonna get it lucky me so let's talk first i got something about major league one of the great baseball movies of all time major league you bet uh, we're just going to talk. Uh, this specifically is referring to the first and really the only one the other two are it's one of those Not. things where you, you got to pretend the sequels don't exist. Yeah, know? they don't. They don't. They don't exist. So if you remember the first one, the owner uh, is a well, she inherits the team. She's a former showgirl. Her name is Rachel Phelps, and she wants to move the team to Miami because she's going to make a lot of money there and they're going to build her a new stadium. This is all rings very true to life uh, yeah. still today but but uh, to get out of the contract at cleveland stadium which of course the first one was filmed in 
it was in Milwaukee, or yeah, it was in Milwaukee, right? The first one was in Milwaukee, and then the second one they filmed it in Baltimore. The first so they one never was actually. In no, well, the 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 shots of the stadium were not oh. in Cleveland. Now, see, how did I not know that? I don't know. That's a that's a well known thing that they did not shoot it in Cleveland. See, all I care about is the minutia, I, I, the big picture, not me. <laughs> that was too big a picture. You missed it. <laughs> but the the whole plot point here being if the uh, season attendance is under 800,000 tickets sold that'll trigger an escape clause and they can leave Cleveland and go to Miami so since 1980 there have been one two three four five six seven eight teams that would have triggered that clause oh wow and three of them are the Cleveland Indians (laughs) 1983 84 and 85 three seasons in a row they drew just pitifully the the lowest of which was in 1985 when they drew 655,000 they went 60 and 102 that year so you can kind of see why Uh, other teams on this list the Pittsburgh Pirates showed up twice in 84 and 85 85 they lost 104 games and only drew 735,000 uh, the Expos is on here three times in 99, 2004, and 2001. They they drew under 800,000. Wow. And uh, yeah, so those are actually the only teams. So there's that list of eight, <laughs> eight times it's happened only includes uh, four teams. Wow. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I'm wondering if you, you might get a team that does that if we ever play this year, just because it's going to be a short season. I uh, got a question for you, Mark. What is, and, and it might be a little different without baseball season going on right now, but what's your go-to baseball hat? My go-to, well, a buddy of mine bought me this number 34 Nolan Ryan hat. It's a <laughs> it's silhouette. A, it's super freaking cool. It, I happen to know what that hat looks like, and that is a cool hat. <laughs> it is a very cool. That's my go-to lately. Um, I, I also have a couple of backups. One is the South Bend Silverhawks just because I really like the logo. I'm not familiar. I, I'm assuming that's South Bend, Indiana. I think so. <laughs> I just bought it because it was a minor league team with a cool logo. Is it a, do, a, do we know anything about, I, I know the Cubs have a have a minor league team around South Bend. I'm not sure. I think this is an older team. I think they may be defunct. I got I got it from a place that you couldn't tell which teams were real and which teams weren't. So. Ah. Uh, so the South Bend Cubs, known for more than two decades as the Silver Hawks, there you go. When they were affiliated with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Well, yes, I have a I have a backup of the South Bend Silver Hawks and a black hat with a little black hat on it that says high, it's uh, High Desert Mavericks. I remember the High Desert Mavericks. Yeah, I don't remember where High Desert is in California, right? Yes, I think it's in the California League. Yes, I don't remember who they were who are who they are affiliated with but no i do uh, see the silverhawks logo here though that is pretty cool yeah it is it's a cool logo speaking of of hats i happen to know folks that jeff keeps track of his hats his a's hats and what their record is going to games i just wanted to point that out yeah we we told it up at the end of last year i keep that in my i keep a scorebook Whenever I go to the A's games, I, I made it to over half of them last year. That's I think outstanding. My number was like 50 or something like that. But I did keep track of every every uh, every time I went, I made mention in my book of what hat I wore and totaled it up. Now, let me, let me I had, say I wear hats uh, less often than Jeff because of my amazing head of hair. Yeah, and my lack of hair. I wear it to keep warm <laughs> I have enough and for to avoid a sunburn. It. all right so let's uh so mark this is your first show since we've gotten back to debuts yes which is uh something i missed and right now this uh show will be dropping on april 7th 
And this being early, traditionally early in the season, you've got a lot of people debuting. And there were a lot of names that I would have loved to just bring up and you and I just riff on. But I settled on four names, three of which are Hall of Famers and another which is a huge name. And we actually talk with Brad later on uh, because he showed up in this in this pack of baseball cards that he wrote his book about. So let's go first. I'm going to give you their nicknames. These are easy ones because, again, they're three Hall of Famers and a huge player. Okay. I'll give you the nickname. I'm sure you'll get it. The first one debuted today in 1977, Steady Eddie. Uh, Eddie Guardado? In 1977, That's right. Steady Eddie. <laughs> Is his father? Um you know, you're going to get a lot of dead air time if I take it. If I you can. have you you've been gone for a couple of weeks, so you're a little rusty. <laughs> you might need some extra time in the in the batting cage. Eddie Murray made his debut oh, today. Sure. sure. Eddie Gordado, I believe, debuted in 92 or not, I I missed or 93. maybe by a decade. Not much. When you look at the whole grand scheme of things, I was interning in Salt Lake for a TV station and I always volunteered. And I went to the buzz games at that point every day. Oh, and gosh. I interviewed Eddie Gordado after he was a starter at that point and he pitched like seven great innings and then he got called up. And I did his final interview as a nice triple A player. He got called nice. up the next day and then pitched forever. Yes, he did. And his name, he was everyday Eddie Guardado because he had a rubber arm. So Eddie Murray went one for four that day on his debut off of Burt Blylevin. Uh, Eddie Murray is one of five players in Major League history in both the 500 home run club and the 3000 hit club. Wow. The other four is Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Rafael Palmero, and Alex Rodriguez. Those guys now, it's interesting because two of those guys are not in the Hall of Fame. That's right, for various reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Basically the same reason. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Eddie Murray is the only player also to play first base more than 2,400 times. He started yeah. 2,413 games at wow. first base, and he was a first ballot Hall of Famer being inducted in 2003. I believe he has some uh, records for switch hitters as well. Yeah, he was he uh, when I think of switch hitters, especially switch hitters with power, I think yeah. of him, mm-hmm. I think of Mickey Tettleton and Chipper Jones. Yeah, I would throw in Mickey Mantle. Oh yeah. I yeah, I I just I get stuck on the kind of contemporary players, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Mickey Mantle, I think I heard he was pretty good. He he could hit switch, yeah, from what I, I've read. Uh next guy now, if you don't get this nickname, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to replace you. Okay. Uh, the Wizard of Oz. Oh man, you gotta love him, Ozzy Smith. Arguably the greatest defensive shortstop ever. Hmm? I don't know that I have seen anybody better than him. I mean, and and I did kind of just see him at the tail end of his career when I really got to focus on him. But he was, he was flashy, man. He wasn't just good; he was flashy. So Ozzie Smith made his debut on this day in 1978. He went 0 for 1 with a walk off of one of the great names, John Montefusco, oh, the Count of Montefusco. The Count of Montefusco. Yes. Uh, Ozzie won 13 gold gloves at shortstop, the most in major league history. He also has the record for career chances, career double plays turned, and assists by a shortstop. And he went into the Hall of Fame in 2002. Awesome. Uh, next one, we've talked about him before, and we've talked about his nickname, and it, we both kind of said, oh, yeah, I think I remember that. But do you remember the igniter? Oh, man, I don't. Paul Molitor. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't know him as the igniter. I just knew him as Molly. That was the nickname I yeah. heard most. But I, I did, Igniter rings that vague bell. Uh, Molitor made his debut, likewise, just like Ozzie Smith today in 1978. He went one for five with an RBI single off of Mike Flanagan. In uh, October of 1982, October 12th to be specific, Molly gathered five hits during game one of a World Series game, the first player in World Series history to do so. Since that time, Albert Pujols has equaled the feat. Molly is one of three players with more than 3,000 hits, 600 doubles, and 500 steals. The other two are Ty Cobb and Honus Wagner. <laughs> okay, so, so you call him a throwback. <laughs> rarefied air there. Yes. A throwback kind of player, like way yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, and he was inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2004. 
Now, next guy, this is our, our final debut. He debuted in 1984. His nickname was Doc or Dr. K. Yeah, uh, maybe Dwight Gooden. There you go. He, on this day, went five innings, gave up only three hits, one earned run, struck out five, and got the win versus Bob Nepper. Oh, sure. Doc Gooden is one of those players that also played in the Little League World Series as well as the Major League World Series. And I was just reading a part of his book where he describes the 1986 World Series parade in the Canyon of Champions, you know, in New York, where Mm -hmm. astronauts and all these famous people and and any New York franchise that wins goes down this parade and people are throwing stuff all over. It's a big thing. And he was not there because uh, and this is a quote as my teammates toasted our triumph I was nursing a head splitting coke and booze hangover (laughs) too spent too paranoid and too mad at myself to drag my sorry butt to my own victory parade oh man bummer yeah I mean I read this I read part of his book and he went directly from Shea Stadium to this project uh, where his dealer lived and partied there doing lines of coke and drinking until about 7.30 in the morning. Wow. So, and and when we talk to Brad later, you'll you'll hear his story of trying to talk to Doc. And, uh, I mean, we all know Doc's struggles uh, that he's still dealing with today. So, very, very interesting stuff. So, yeah. those are some good debuts. Solid. Right there. <laughs> very solid. All right, so let's get to our trivia question. Uh, last week, Mark, uh, I asked this question of Joel from the High and Insight podcast who was sitting in for you. The question is, how many different continents has a regular season MLB game been played on? Wow. Um, so talk it out. Okay, so North America, I don't think any have been played. <laughs> okay, maybe a handful. Uh, maybe a couple. North America, and then we had the the games in Japan. Yep. And we had the European game. Yep. Uh, or games. So that's three. So three. Can't think of anything in South America. Have we had games in South America that I can think of? <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you that was that was Joel's answer was three. The answer is actually four. Now it it didn't ring my memory right right when I heard it, but then I remember them converting the Sydney Cricket Grounds. And they converted it for a series with the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks in 2014. Uh, that's crazy. I don't remember that. I, re- I remember watching them because it was a late night that, you know, they're uh, around. They're not in the same time zone as Japan, but around that. So the, those games aired very early in the morning here. But yeah, nice. the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks played hmm. a series in Australia. Interesting so question. Four. Yeah. yeah. All right. So new question. I'll give it to you here. You can think about it for a week. We'll give you the answer next week. Which pitcher has the most career pickoffs in Major League history? The most pickoffs. Yeah. Now, I, I learned that pickoffs were only started to be counted and tracked as a stat in the early 1970s, I believe. So okay. that'll give you a little bit of time frame. But pitcher with the most career pickoffs. All right. Looking at right. We're looking at probably a lefty, although... Remember, Andy Pettit had a good pickoff move as well. The guy that was impossible to run on, though, was Terry Mulholland of the Philadelphia Phillies. Well, I'm going to give you a clue. You said a left-hander. I'm going to say yes, and just think of the word left, and that might give you a big clue as well. (laughs) Okay. No, I have to wait until next week to answer, right? Well, you can give me an answer. I'm not going to tell you if it's right or wrong. I'm going to guess Steve Carlton. That is an answer. (laughs) So we will find out next week if you are right or wrong. But uh, at this point, let us now go into uh, go into the main part of the show. All righty. Let's do it. So this time of year, traditionally, when there's not a global pandemic occurring, we are already into the very early stages of baseball season. And with this comes a new wave of baseball books. Another reason for this to be one of my favorite times of year. Uh, this year, obviously, despite the season not starting on time, it is no different, though, with a bunch of great baseball books 
And it's been really great this year because we've been able to talk with several authors who've wanted to discuss their books, so much so that we've even had to kind of pick and choose so that we don't step on Baseball by the Book's toes, which is an incredible baseball book podcast. Uh, In doing so, though, we've tried to choose books that are on brand for us, a baseball history podcast. And one of these is by author Brad Belukjan, who wrote a book called The Wax Pack on the Road in Search of Baseball's Afterlife. And Brad is joining us today. And thank you very much for being here, Brad. Thank you for having me, Mark and Jeff. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had D.B. Firstman on, who clearly brought up the IQ of our pod a couple of levels. And now we have you, who is actually a a biology professor at Merritt College here in Oakland. So we will do our very best to step up our game um, and and keep the the IQ level up. Not to worry. (laughs) So uh, the first question we always ask all of our guests is if you can give us a little bit of your history with the game first, your favorite team growing up, favorite player. Yeah, sure. Uh, So I grew up in, in Greenville, Rhode Island. And by all accounts, I should be a Boston Red Sox fan because that was the nearest uh, market and all my friends were Red Sox fans. This is back in the mid 80s. But I was never one to follow the crowd. So uh, rooting for the home team was kind of out for me. So as a free agent fan at the ripe age of five, (laughs) for whatever reason, I had a favorite letter, which I didn't think was at all weird. I mean, Kids have favorite colors and favorite numbers, so why not a favorite letter, right? Why and not? my favorite letter was F. I had no idea why, but it was it was that was what it was. And I heard the name Philadelphia Phillies, <laughs> and I thought, could there be a better name for a sports <laughs> team if you love the letter F than that? Uh, my spelling skills notwithstanding (laughs) it was as simple as that i became a diehard philadelphia sports fan and you know those were some lean years like 1988 89 i mean the phillies were just terrible so um it was definitely not a common or popular thing to be a phillies fan but that has always been my team and then i moved to the bay area in 2006 to go to grad school and coming out here i actually ended up kind of falling for the Oakland A's. Um, again, always, that's always what we like to hear. Yeah, always liking the underdog. Um, to me, the A's were so much more likable than the Giants. And it also was convenient that they happened to come from Philadelphia originally. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I, I don't know if you know this or not. I'm, a, I'm an A's season ticket holder. Uh, you working at Merritt College, you're two BART stops away from the Coliseum, so that's got to be nice. But, A's access? Is that what you, what you yep, do? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. As soon as we moved here, I got that. But I, I heard a great thing about A's fans and Giants fans that I like to repeat, that uh, the Giants are kind of like the Beatles and the A's are like the Rolling Stones. And I was yeah. always a Rolling Stones guy. So That's a good, I like that analogy. Yeah, <laughs> that works. You, you decided on a pretty unique approach to a book. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea? Sure. Um, I always, as I was kind of alluding to, I always liked the underdog in anything. And as a kid, my favorite players were were a lot of the journeyman type players, um, guys like uh, Don Carmen and Marty Barrett. And um, if, for the A's, it would be a guy like Donnie Hill back in that era. And so I always um, was what I was curious, you know, what, what happened to those guys? I mean, we all kind of relate to that. Where are they now theme? I mean, sports illustrated does a whole issue every year on that theme. And I realized that I don't really know the current players nearly as well, probably because I don't sit and spend hours studying the backs of their baseball cards. Um, and so I had this idea that, you know, a pack, a wax pack from that era kind of resembles a book. Um, you know, you got 15, cards in a pack maybe 15 chapters in a book and so i thought wouldn't it be cool to get a pack that had never been opened and use that as the device to go find these guys knowing also that because uh underdog type players are more common than stars i was i would get a chance to actually you know go and track down a lot of guys that were the underdog players from my youth well i I, I agree that uh, wax packs are a great vehicle for many things, including a segment here on the show that we'll get to at some point. Yeah, look forward to it. I got my 
my pack right here. And, and can I say the cover of your book is incredible. I can I can just look at the cover of your book and I get I, you know I can actually feel. I mean I pick up wax packs a lot of the time because of we're opening them on the show a lot. But I can I can just get that feeling when I just look at your cover of your book. It is yeah. incredible artwork. The only thing missing is like I really I lobbied to get like even like a replica stick of gum on the inside cover, you know, um, or at least some powder of you know. Yeah, like the- <laughs> I guess it was uh, it was too expensive, but you know the University of Nebraska Press did a great job with the, the layout and the design. So in this pack, you pulled several players who are not exactly known as being talkers, especially to writers or authors. Mm -hmm. Um, One Hall of Famer, Carlton Fisk, who is a well-known, I don't know if I want to say curmudgeon, but it's well-known that he doesn't talk. Vince Coleman, who's had his issues with the press, not a big talker. Mm -hmm. Um, Doc Gooden uh, has had a lot of issues. Gary Templeton really kind of misrepresented as having some issues, uh, especially right. on the field. And then there's people like Randy Reddy, who had some real personal tragedy. W- was there any trepidation before you spoke to any of those? Any areas that you, you weren't sure you, or maybe you didn't ask them about? Yeah, no, there was definite trepidation. I mean, I, I kind of document that as I go on the trip where with Randy Reddy, um, you know, his his first wife's, a tragedy, heart attack at a young age that left her in a vegetative state. That's all well documented. You know, I, you can read about all that. But then I had no idea, you know, the the trail runs cold. I had no idea if she was still alive or whatever happened there. So I wanted to ask him about it. Um, and I had to, you know, I spent a couple of days with him and I, I, I kind of talk in the book about trying to work up the nerve to find the right spot to ask about that. Um, and I did, but it was not easy. Um, and then with some of the big, the bigger names you mentioned, yeah, I, I anticipated it would be difficult to get to them. And that, that was borne out where, you know, with Carlton Fisk, he wouldn't talk to me. So I went rogue and pretended like I was a, a millionaire home buyer to sneak onto the golf course in Sarasota, Florida, where he plays to ambush him. And uh, with Vince Coleman, I went to his childhood home in Jacksonville and retraced his childhood and went to his high school and his church. Um, Doc Gooden was the only guy that insisted that I pay him. So I had set up to pay him 500 bucks to talk to him um, and was going to you know, be full disclosure on that. And then that chapter is about how I sort of just by chance ended up being caught right in the middle of, of – um, his basically his relapse and and what that was like so um it was pretty yeah pretty pretty crazy uh but i tried to make the best out of those scenarios so this episode is actually going to be dropping on april 7th with just happens to be the anniversary of doc gooden's major league debut in 1984 there Uh, you go huh so I, I thought that was kind of uh, kind of interesting. We do a debut segment here uh, in mm-hmm. our in our first part, and I thought that was very interesting with yeah. uh, with Doc Gooden. Uh, I don't know if you want to share, but uh, beyond trying to to infiltrate uh, Carlton Fisk's favorite golf course, uh, do, do you mind sharing how you actually got you you got everybody to that you could to sign these baseball cards? Uh, can you share how, how you finally got Pudge to sign your baseball card? Oh, yeah. yeah. So so with Fisk, because he wouldn't – so I had that, that whole first chapter called Chasing Carlton is about that whole ruse that I had to get to him. And it all worked perfectly except he didn't happen to be there that day. So um, I, I documented that. And then the, the next chapter about him called Catching Carlton is where I, a couple of weeks later I go to Cooperstown in the Hall of Fame – and for $69, he was signing autographs. So I said, okay, well, now I know I can get to him, <laughs> even though I won't really have much time with him. So, yeah, with Carlton, I, I had to pay him. And so I, and, and I won't tell the whole story here, but um, I got creative, let's just say, about how I uh, ended up meeting him and the present that I gave to him. What, uh, is, was there a good story that there just wasn't room for in the book? Huh. Um, I mean, there were stories, there were some little stories here and there that 
I were, were interesting from a, and as a baseball fan, you might, I mean, yeah, there were, there were lots of little stories about specific to baseball. Also some of the stuff like on the road, kind of the party, the party scene that were interesting, but they didn't necessarily fit into the narrative. Uh, you know, I always tried to be very careful. Like if, if something wasn't serving the larger story, then I, even though I maybe selfishly part of me wanted to keep it in because it was entertaining or whatever, I, I ended up taking some of that stuff out um, if it wasn't serving the bigger purpose. But in terms of like the most, the most, you know, germane kind of relevant, compelling anecdotes, they're all in there. We, we love baseball, but we love to hear about players when they're not on the field as well. And you did some really cool, really cool things with some of these guys that, uh, again, is a good reason to go out and read this book. Um, and, and we'll go through a list of, of who exactly was in this pack as well here in a minute. But uh, I got to say, I'm jealous seeing some of these things that you got to do. With well, them. I think. I mean, I think for me, it was, that was very, ahead of time, I was really thinking, okay, what could I do? You know, I, I didn't do those things like I go bowling with one guy, play car, play cards against humanity with one guy, play catch. I mean, I didn't do that just for the experience that was very intentional in that knowing the kind of book I wanted to write, which was that kind of creative nonfiction where I'm in the story myself and wanting to put the reader in my shoes so they could, you know, see and taste and smell what I was experiencing. I knew that that would be a much more interesting read if I varied the types of activities that I did with the guys. So you actually came up with that. You, you took Cards Against Humanity and I mean, like Rance Mullenix, how did you how did you get a batting lesson from from Rance? Was that that was that your idea? Yeah, I think with that, he he told me that he was giving a lesson and I said, or he, you know, he was doing that kind of work. And I said, well, you know, can, can I come along? Can I watch? Can I, cause again, I, I wanted to watch these guys and describe them in their environment. So there were times when I, you know, I I'm trying to think of um, like, I asked Richie Hebner if I could go to the cemetery with him where he would, or Dennis Hebner's brother, where they would dig graves and, he was like, oh, no, that's too far away. Or there, there were some examples of things that I wasn't able to do. But I, I generally would just propose to guys like, hey, let's let's do this. Let's, uh, you know, and they were in a lot of cases, they were pretty game to, to do that. What what if you could have gotten Carlton Fisk? What did you have something planned in mind already? Well, it's funny because that it's a good question because I, I honestly had no idea what I was going to ask him because <laughs> I knew that it would be probably, well, I, I mean, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't know how he would react to me. I thought I would probably actually play it very cool in the sense that like, I would just ask him about like orchids. <laughs> that was, you know, he, he's like a big orchid collector and I'm a, I'm a biologist. I know plants. So I figured like, I could I could open up with that and then you know I don't even know I may have ended up just talking about orchids and never even like acknowledging that he was Carlton Fisk that might have been kind of funny you know um, I don't know it's hard to know what how I would have reacted I'll bet he would have loved that <laughs> I I because that would have been so unique I bet he would have loved that and he has now missed out so yeah you're right he probably would be like oh thank God this guy doesn't know who I am or he's not trying to get an autograph or whatever you know um, yeah. Orchids are a great conversation starter, no matter what, in my opinion. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. All right, so who's your favorite player from the pack uh, before you set out on this journey, and then who was your favorite player after you did everything? Well, it's maybe a boring answer, but I, I mean, probably Don Carmen before and still Don Carmen after because he was so exceptional as a person, I mean, this guy, such an original thinker. He's a psychologist for Scott Boris's clients. He's got uh, masters in psychology. Um, and so he's just a, a different kind of cat in the best possible way. And also that he opened up so much. So that was, you know, one of the surprising themes in the book was how many of these guys got emotional in front of me or opened up and were vulnerable about their relationships with their fathers and that sort of thing. Um, 
So Carmen was a, was a highlight. Uh, I would say, but if I said, if I had to choose one guy to just have a beer with again, it would be Randy Reddy. Cause he was just so fun. Just a, you know, just a great guy. And at the end, at the end of it. So do, do you think between Carmen or, or Randy Reddy, or, or maybe one of the others, which one did you relate to when you heard their, you know, actually heard their stories, which one could you, you know, really made you say, wow, this guy is He's a baseball player, sure, but I mean, he's just like me. Right. Well, I mean, I think the beauty of the book is that most of the guys I talk to, I mean, that's kind of one of the conclusions is that we all have a lot more in common with these guys than we realize, right? Because all of us have something. We all deal with some issue. You know, I talk in the book about my OCD and, you know, everyone's got some kind of thing they're grappling with. And the things that these players grapple with are really no different. I mean, they got... You know, drinking issues, relationship problems, divorces, disease, issues with their family, right? I mean, this, these are universal human experiences. So it, I felt closer to these guys, not because of who anything about baseball, but about who they are as people and their and sort of their their flaws and their and their openness and their vulnerability. Um, Don Carmen was exceptionally. Uh, I especially related to because as I learned to get to know him, it turns out he and I, I felt a certain kinship with him because when I was growing up, I was bullied and picked on and always was kind of like the scrawny kid that, you know, that didn't really fit in. And that's exactly how Don Carmen was. So when he was sharing that with me, it kind of felt almost like it made sense why this guy would have been my favorite player as a kid. Okay. So, how much uh, how much did you know about each of the players like did you were you um did you just have a common knowledge of them of each of the players or had you not heard of any of them um you know before you before you decided on the pack and doing your research were you pretty familiar with all the players or were there some that you didn't even know who they were yeah i know i knew i knew these guys from from my childhood um but i spent about a year doing exhaustive research on each guy you know, reading all these articles and, um, you know, going deep on, on, um, their backstories. And so I, so I knew what I wanted to ask when I would meet with them. But I also like one thing I did is when I would meet a guy, I would have a big folder full of printouts of articles from their career. And I would put it in front of him and I would say, I've read this whole file on you. And I feel like I know nothing about you, which kind of set the tone, like, I'm not interested really in asking you about the 1986 World Series or, you know, I was going to go much more personal. Gotcha. So let's uh, let's kind of look through the pack. I mean, this is something that we do a lot. We love to talk about players from, you know, the 80s. And well, we've talked about players from the 1880s. But uh, we, Mark and I, are big fans of, you know, 80s, 90s players. That's when yeah. we really got into hardcore being baseball fans. So let's just go through some of the players in the, in this pack. We, we've mentioned some of them like Carlton Fisk. Uh, I we br- briefly mentioned Al Cowens, who unfortunately passed away in 2002, um, and, and Don Carmen. Now, this is first of all, I think you might be the first person I've ever heard of that's listed Don Carmen as their favorite player, which I think is awesome. Um, <laughs> Carmen is a funny. Well, I, I assume he still is. Was a real funny guy when he was a, a player. He was a a joke, a practical joker. He posted the infamous list of cliches in his locker so and you know basically and just said you know told the press to you know pick and choose what cliches to put in their article yeah. uh, he was also teammates with larry anderson who is also one of the funniest guys that i remember in major league baseball i was trying to think if there had ever been a funnier pitcher duo in in all time in major league baseball was i i've got to assume don carmen was still a very uh, funny guy oh yeah i mean he is he's very kind of irreverent he's got a great wit he's it's because he doesn't look he doesn't um see the world the same way that we all that most of us do i mean he's got this really refreshing view of everything and he kind of questions everything he kind of he's he's like you know every little thing that if you were having a conversation with and everything you say he's in his mind analyzing sort of why would why you say that and what does it mean and 
you know, he just, he really just kind of has this, this, this deep way of, of, um, analyzing things. And I think as a result of that, he has a really unusual and fresh perspective that that's very funny. Now, Mark, had you heard of Jamie Kackenauer? Cause I had not. I'm not familiar with Jamie Kackenauer. No, but, <laughs> it's actually Jaime Kokenauer. Oh, well see, that's how unfamiliar I am with yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah so not a, not a household name. Yes. No, but when, when I did a little, uh, you know, when I looked him up, I did find something. This is the kind of stuff that we like to talk about here. He set an unofficial record. I don't know how that goes in 1985, where he threw a wild pitch in eight consecutive appearances. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, in the, in the chapter on him, we talk about his wildness and sort of how he struggled with that. And, and it, it just goes to show you how important or how much the mental side of everything makes a difference with these guys. So that really it's the mental part of the game that is what is the biggest separator between all of them. Now, uh, is it also true that you showed Randy Reddy how to use Tinder? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We were at the bowling alley uh, in Dallas, Texas, and he just told me he had, I didn't know this going in, but he was in the middle of a divorce from his second wife. And so I said, hey, let me just show you how this, I said, you know this app? You know, you might want to check it out. And so, yeah, we went, we got scrolling through Tinder. It's kind of fun. So I I think Mark and I can probably agree our favorite player in your, in your entire pack is probably Steve Yeager. And uh, yeah. the reason uh, that that is is because we are we're kind of big fans of pop culture. We we've talked I don't know how many times about Danny Tartable and and Seinfeld and other you know just kind of pop culture things. Yeah. The list here of pop culture things that Steve Yeager has been involved in is yeah. pretty pretty big. Have you seen the 1982 issue of Playgirl that he's in? Uh, I haven't. Uh, I have it listed here on my notes. I do. Yeah. Believe it or not, I have an issue of Playgirl because Ricky Henderson was in one, just an yeah. interview. Yeah. But I am a Ricky Henderson fanatic and collect anything Ricky Henderson, so right. I do have that stowed away. Yeah, well, this is not an article. This is a full-on photo shoot of Yeager. That's, in, that's in, what it said. Yeah. In, in days, I've seen it. I bought it on eBay. Daisy Dukes and shower scenes, and it's it's pretty crazy. I will have to take your word for that. <laughs> um, also, cousin of uh, test pilot Chucky, Chuck Yeager. Right, that's right. Obviously, this was one of the, we've taught. We brought this up before. He was a technical advisor, but also played a, a coach in all three major league movies, including yeah. Back to the Miners, which Duke is Temple. Yeah, Duke Temple, which is uh, quite a quite a awful film <laughs> i never saw the third one yeah, there's yeah. no getting around it it's um, not gonna win any awards yeah and then uh los angeles mayor tom bradley was the best man at his wedding and and i think he might have been the first catcher to wear a throat guard as well yeah well actually he designed that because he almost died in the on deck circle in the in the i think it was in the 70s late 70s when the guy ahead of him hit the ball and the bat shattered and one of the shards hit him right in the neck Oof. and it he he missed dying by a couple of inches and then as a result of that he went and got that neck guard designed you you would think that he would have had some instances before that behind the plate where he it might have struck him that hmm maybe i should wear something to guard my throat before that yeah <laughs> right well in, in that era those guys they didn't have the shoulder things either they just yeah. had the chest protector did you did you get a look at his hands? I didn't uh, study his hands, but he's pretty beat up in general. <laughs> yeah, we've we I I the A's you know A's uh, Ray Fossey. If you see his hands, they look like uh, like rivers on a map. I mean, they're just they're right. they're all going in different directions. Yeah, <laughs> right. So uh, before we get on to, to our Wax Pack segment here, uh, can you tell people where they can get a hold of your book, where they can uh, find you on social media and all that good stuff? Sure. Uh, I'm on, on Twitter at Wax Pack Book, and then waxpackbook.com has all the information on where to order. You can pretty much get it wherever books are sold. And I had a, an extensive book tour lined up, but unfortunately with the situation right now with the coronavirus, I uh, had to postpone that. So hopefully I'll get to do that down the line. 
yeah that would be great and uh hopefully maybe i can i can catch you at a game sometime and we can have a beer and, and watch an A's yeah, game that'd be great so i i've mentioned to you uh and i was i'm so excited you're you're gonna be our first guest that is supplying their own pack of baseball cards here <laughs> um so we've got a segment uh that it and we'll get into the proper segment here in a minute but uh, i just want to i want to give you some rules before we get into it so what we do is we usually open a pack we are to score this we are using a may 1992 beckett baseball card monthly and we do that just so these cards have some value we started with a current Beckett and did not get much help mean, there. They don't have any value now. And every, <laughs> yeah. every one of them was worth a penny. It was, uh, we kept tying them. <laughs> First of all, there's also an, a couple of extra rules that we have. Uh, one, if they are sporting a mustache in the picture, you get an Ooh. extra cent. Ooh, okay. Uh, if they're, if you can see, uh, if it's like a full body shot and you can see that they're wearing real stirrups, you get an, another extra cent. This could be a good drinking game. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, and this probably won't come into play in your pack, being an 86, but if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-one stirrups, you know, the socks where they're just sewn in, you minus okay. a point for that. Okay. And then if you are a Hall of Famer, you get an extra five cents. Okay. Added. So just for fun, before we open your pack, I went through and I scored the pack that you based your book okay. on. Yeah. Which nice. was interesting you came up with a you would be in first place in our in our guest board if this would have been your pack Uh, so al cowens got one cent for the mustache uh it was a common otherwise Uh, you had a carlton fisk uh yours is the all-star card correct that's right so it was uh worth 13 cents total it was listed for eight and then he's a hall of famer so there's an extra five his normal card was worth 26 cents Ah, Don Carmen, I regret to inform you, was uh, was not worth anything. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I feel bad. Anything bad about Don Carmen. (laughs) So you're saying he's not Carmen. It's common. Is that what you're I'll I'll, I'll text him right now and let you know. (laughs) Uh, Doc Gooden was a record breaker card that was worth 11 cents, uh, 10 cents, and then one cent for the stirrups. Uh, Gary Templeton was worth a cent for the mustache. Uh, the Gary Pettis card, I was surprised that was his rookie card, but that was not worth anything. Mm-hmm. The Jaime Kokenauer, I, I I got his first name right, at least. No, no, you got it. You got it. Okay. Uh, that was not worth anything. The Lee Mazzilli was not worth anything. The Rance Mullenix got a cent for the mustache. Uh, Randy Reddy got a stu- uh, cent for the mustache. Richie Hebner, I'm being generous. Uh, it's I'm giving him a cent for the mustache. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, Rick Sutcliffe, a cent for the mustache, and Steve Yeager's was not worth anything either. But then we get to the Vince Coleman record breaker. Mm. This is a big card for you. This was worth a dollar and one cent. Whoa. What? It was one of the four cards in the entire set that was worth more than a dollar. The other three being Daryl Strawberry, Cal Ripken, Roger Clemens, and there was a Ryan Sandberg error card that was not corrected. I am shocked that Vince Coleman in 1992 would be worth over a dollar. I was too, but but there it is. Um, and then, of wow. course, you did pull a checklist card, which is never yeah. worth anything. <laughs> yeah. But okay. that that was good for a dollar thirty one. Okay. Which, wow. if we look on our leaderboard, um, one of our uh, one of our friends at the Diamonds and Roses podcast, we opened a ninety upper deck, and he pulled a Griffey which was basically the whole pack. He was at yeah. 93 cents. So this pack would have put you clearly on top of everybody. Wow. But what we're going to do now is we are going to actually open your actual, you've got a, a pack of uh, 86 tops. So right. uh, we're going to jump right into the uh, our actual segment here, Wax Packs Heroes. Gotta pull a wax pack hero. stars in With our, we've got a custom, you know, intro for that. So this yeah, is, you, you can tell that no expense has been spared here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if you want to go ahead and, and open this pack and right. uh, your main responsibility is going to be to tell us, you know, the card number on the back. I'll look it up here. We can also look it up on the Internet so that we can all see, uh, you know, what they look like. 
Okay. You and just want to know the number, not the player. Well, what I usually do with the player, and this might, I don't know if this is fun for you. If, if I know their nickname, I will, I'll throw that out there and see if, you know, Mark, or in this case, both Mark and I can guess who it is. Okay. Or if you've got any trivia or anything, try and okay. stump us. <laughs> okay. No, that's, that's fun. All right. Here we go. Oh, I just tore the paper. A pack. The crinkle of the wax paper, the disgusting gum, which I will not chew. Now, if you if, if you pull out an Al Cowens and a Carlton Fisk and a Randy Reddy and a Don Carmen, I'm going to be suspicious. Okay, now if I was doing a sequel right now, this guy <laughs> I would not I would not have I've not heard of at all. So I have no hints. Wow, this guy had a long. I'm embarrassed to say I haven't heard of this guy because he had a long career. Um, card number four twenty two. 422. Well, it is a common. Yes. Who who is it? Mike Jorgensen. Let me look him up here. How have I not heard of this guy? I played like 17 years. Was he like a journeyman relief pitcher? A journeyman utility guy, but he, oh, he had okay. some good... I mean, I guess it's because his best years were in the early 70s, well before I was born, but... So, yeah, I, I see cards here. Uh, Google does not pull up an 86 top, so I don't know what it looks like. Does he uh, really? does, does he have a mustache, right. and do you see stirrups? He's clean-shaven. It's above the waist. It's it's a Cardinals card. Um, yeah, card 422. Mike Jorgensen. All yeah, right. So no, no credit there. No, <laughs> we've, we, trust me, we've had much worse starts than, than a Mike Jorgensen. <laughs> okay, here we have a... Prolific mustache. Nice. And a star player known for his punch and Judy style of hitting back in the 80s. Hmm. It, what team is he on here? Well, that would be a, that's a pretty big, uh, he had 240 hits in 1985. That's insane. What? 240 hits. Wow. We're, I, this is one of those where we're going to feel stupid when you tell us who it is. Boston Red Sox. Boston Red Sox in 86 and he punch and Judy hitter. So it's not Boggs. It's no, that, no, that's, that's what I thought. But yeah, Boggs is kind of like a singles hitter, right? Oh, no, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's a hall of famer too. So that's, yeah. and he's got the mustache always. So there's yeah. six to start out with. Did you say stirrups? Uh, stirrups. Oh yeah. I forgot to look at that. Yep. All right. And what card number is it? It is card number five ten. So that card right off the bat is worth 75 cents plus right. your seven cents. So that's an 82 cent card right there. Right, Wade Boggs. Wow. That's a, that's a very nice, very nice card right there. Nice pull, yes. This, I've always loved this card as a kid. I don't know why. I, just, I love the hat. I love how boxy it is. I love the tinted sunglasses. Mike Brown for the Pirates. Oh, Mike Brown. Card number 114. Uh, Above the waist, no mustache. Yeah, that card is nothing Nothing going on there. Yeah. No, he's from San Francisco. I think I know that. Okay, we have an A's leaders. And unfortunately, right below, you can't quite see the, the heel about the stirrups, but you do have a mustache. And the hitter is, or the, the picture, the guy pictured is Dwayne Murphy. Nice. So mustache and card number... 216. So Murph is not worth anything, but he does get the scent for the mustache. I remember it was uh, Dwayne Murphy, Ricky Henderson, and Tony Armas uh, mm. was the outfield for the A's in the early 80s when I was every now and then taken to an A's game as a, as a child. Yeah. Okay, we have a very austere-looking mustachio Jackie Gutierrez from the <laughs> Red Sox. I am not familiar with Jackie Gutierrez. Um, and no stirrups visible. Yeah, you got me on that one too. I'm gonna guess that's gonna be a common. What is the what is the number on that? Uh, Six thirty-three. Yep. So you just said a mustache. So there's one set. Yep. yep. Another mustache. Another not very well-known guy for the Royals. Joe Beckwith, card five sixty-two. That is a common. Yeah, I am not familiar with Joe Beckwith either. Was <laughs> he yeah. uh, a reliever? He was a yeah he was a reliever. Okay. Lefty? Nice. Uh, no. Well, see, I can only I can only fake my way through part of it. Okay? <laughs> yeah. This would be like um, the Hangover Two to the Hangover if we did a sequel to the Wax. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> 
well if you get the chicken man to talk i mean you can talk about the you know the beers on the on the flight to uh, the west coast and that's right. a good good portion uh brian dayett i remember this guy mustache it doesn't quite connect. I don't know if he loses. Points if he's got hair on his lip anywhere, yeah. we're good with it. Or you Thank know, you. A, a beard with with a mustache. He gets. Uh, he's two eighty four. His card number. He's got no stirrups visible. Chicago Cubs. All right, so that's a, one point there. That's a common. Yep, just one cent. Okay, this card. I, I remember this card. The giant glove, giant mustache. What pretty well known pitcher. Uh, Len Barker. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. With the Mets? Uh, here he's with the Braves. Card 24. No value there, but yeah, boy, he does have a big, big old glove in front of him there. It's definitely yeah, taken. No. It looks like it's spring training. Like Louis Polonia size glove? Uh, maybe not that big. Okay. But, but that's uh, one cent for Len Barker. So we got a big score here. Okay. We got stirrups, mustache, and Hall of Fame. Give you guys a hint. Pitched mostly most of his career for the Tigers. Jack Morris. Jack Morris, yes. Jack Morris, card two seventy. So that's worth ten cents list. So that's a seventeen center. Goodness gracious! So you you're at a dollar four already. You got the and the Hall of Fame gives him how many points? Uh, so it was ten cents, and then five cents for Hall of Fame, one cent for the mustache, and one cent for the stirrup. So it was seventeen cent card total. Got it. So we're we're breathing down the neck of the original wax pack. Yeah, you are. I I if you could, if you pull the Roger Clemens, which is worth two dollars and fifty cents at this point, <laughs> you can obliterate it. Yeah. So here we got stirrups, but no mustache. Craig Reynolds from the Astros. Craig, oh, I'm thinking of Craig or Mick Reynolds or someone uh, else. I was Craig thinking. Reynolds, utility infielder, uh, shortstop, second baseman. Card 298. Oh, that's a good looking card, though. Uh, yeah. look, that looks like another spring training because they've got the uh, the BP tops on and that's game action. I'm right. sorry, what number did you say it was? 298. Uh, 298. All right, so just, uh, just a cent for the stirrup. Here's a great stat line. In 81, he had 10 doubles and 12 triples. Wow. <laughs> That's weird. Because he wasn't a fast guy. He only stole three bases. I wonder how that happened. Now, remember, was it 86 or was it 84 when, when Ryan Sandberg led the league with triples with 18? Yeah. Never hit even close to double digits any other year. Yeah. Huh. We have card 49, no mustache. This looks like a complete bust. Rick Manning, card 49. Nothing there. I remember that name. Yeah, he was a catcher. No, outfield. Okay. Okay, we got stirrups and mustache. Tippy Martinez. Wow. Card 82. That is not worth anything. I, I am embarrassed that I have not heard of this many players. Um, we good? Yep. You're at 107. Okay. Terry Harper, mustache, nothing else. Card 247. Seven... Yep, that is just a mustache. That is all he gets there. This guy, wow. This guy had, in 84, he had 102 at-bats and hit 157. In 85, he hit 264 with 17 homers and 72 RBIs. That's a crazy breakout. That's a, gr- that's a good-looking Braves uniform he's got on there, too. I don't, I don't remember that one. Yeah. Like a huh. red, white, and blue kind of trim on the home whites and a, and a kind of a lighter blue helmet it's a good luck yeah uh okay we got uh gary rowenicke uh 494 mustache nothing else gary rennicke is that rennicke yeah yeah I, I i remember him all right so no mustache no stirrups on that one no we have a mustache oh mustache all right so you're at 109 and finally we're not going to beat the original wax pack we have dave rosemma <laughs> I don't know. You know, maybe I misread this, and there's six players with over a one uh, one dollar uh, value. What uh, what card is he? Uh, Seven thirty nine. Uh, that is definitely not one of them. He's one off of Lance Parrish, but uh, he is no Lance Parrish. Yeah. So well, we we got the one dollar barrier. 
So let me, yeah, so that's 109. So you are our new leader in the clubhouse. Very nice. Now, let me ask you this. Would this have made, because you did not, except for Wade Boggs, there was not a lot of big names. Would this have been a contender when you were were thinking about which pack you were going to use for this book? Yeah, this would not. Uh, well, a part of it's geography too, right? Like, I don't know where all these guys live now. Like, if they all live in um, Delaware, that'd be a pretty boring. <laughs> um, but I mean, you get Jack Morris and Wade Bob. But again, like the really the I mean, like the charm of the Wax Pack is that is that the guys that were not the stars were much more interesting, right? So this pack could be really interesting. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't rule it out, but it doesn't have quite the name recognition of the guys in the wax pack. Yeah, I, I again, your your pack, I knew all but one good good old Jaime. Uh, here, I think I only knew four or five players, which is embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Terry Harper, he has a great uh, eighty-seven tops card. It is airbrushed like almost beyond <laughs> belief uh, into a pirate's uniform. Uh, it almost looks like something that would be hanging in a museum in like France somewhere. It is <laughs> wow, very heavily airbrushed. But uh, well, congratulations! You are, and I'm afraid this doesn't come with uh, cash, uh, a cash prize or anything. Send me a check for the value of my of my pack. Well, hey, you know what? I'll go one further. When I do see you at an A's game, I will buy you a beer. All with right. you know, with A's access, it's not going to be much more than a dollar nine. I'll so, to give you some change, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, congratulations, there you are, our our new high scorer. All right. Uh, well, Brad, thank you very, very much for joining us. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I can't wait to uh, get my hands on on the actual hard copy of this book. Uh, it is called The Wax Pack. Uh, a on the road in search of baseball's afterlife. Uh, once again, if you do want to find this on the internet, you can find it at waxpackbook.com. And uh, also on Twitter, you're at waxpackbook as well. That's right. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, Brad, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. That was a lot of fun, guys. But thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Brad. So uh, we'd like to, as we wrap up the show, as we always do, thank you, our listeners, once again. Uh, We really appreciate it. If you want to help out, you can always rate and review us wherever you are listening to this podcast, as well as just tell a friend. That is always a good way to help us out as well. Uh, If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so. We're there both the Twitter and Instagram. You can find us at Two Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise. Mark, it was good to have you back in the co-pilot's uh, seat today. Do you think we should do another one of these shows next week, maybe? Well, I'll tell you what. I, I It's feeling very comfortable again. So, uh, yeah, let's absolutely do another one of these. All right. That sounds like a plan then. Well, uh, until that time, we will see you again next week. And thank you for joining us on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.